you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. It's Film Week here on LAS 89.3. Austin Cross with you in for Larry this week. Lots to get to from our reviews and our feature. Later, we'll talk to our animation experts, Charles Solomon, about Studio Ghibli's success over the years, starting globally with Princess Mononoke and still staying strong, even with the little press surrounding Hayao Miyazaki's new and final film, The Boy and the Heron. But now we talk the latest in theaters and streaming with Claudia Puig, film critic for LAist. She's also president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association and program director for the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Welcome. Thank you. We also have Tim Cogshell, LAist film critic. You can also find his work at altfilmguide and synagogues.com. Welcome to you. Very, very good to be here. We start today with The Meg to the Trench. Tim, what did you think? Yeah, yeah, The Meg to the Trench. The Trench is this giant trench beneath the ocean, beneath huh. which this Permian Lake, you know what, this is all a bunch of crap. Don't worry about that. <laughs> There's a big old giant <laughs> shark down there, a Ooh. megalodon, the biggest shark ever. And they're going to go beneath this area where they're going to find this rogue, mining operation. Wait, underwater? Underwater. And they're going to have to walk across the bottom of the ocean. It's okay. they got this really great technology that doesn't actually exist. I hope it's not this little underwater thing that's imploded. Yeah, and you know I had to think about that a little bit (laughs) as I was watching this film. Jason Statham here doing that thing that he does. He's our our deep sea uh, uh, guy who's also a karate expert and a weapons expert because you know you can get a degree in that at like USC or something like that. I'm (laughs) I'm almost certain, you know. Uh, that you can do that. And a lot of the folks from the first film are in this film, carry over from the first film, particularly the little, the little Chinese girl who he has become the surrogate parent of because we, mm. we know what happened to her mother in the first film. Look, um, uh, uh, the Sharknado movies and Jaws, of course, uh, you know, sort of occupy this space for a very, very long time. So what are you going to do? you got to make the sharks bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you got to make something bigger than the sharks. And, you know, and all the, so That's what we're doing here. It's funny, though. And I want to give particular kudos to Paige Kennedy. He was in the first film. He's the brother, right? He's in the first film. And in the first film, notoriously, he couldn't swim. He's a shark hunter who can't swim. Uh, and and, and, and all, they, they correct all of that in this film. And Paige is absolutely hysterical in this movie, which eventually stops taking itself seriously and mm. becomes the movie that it is meant to be. Uh, oh. So it's it's living right there in that spot. If you like it, you know, say what you want about these movies, but uh, John Turtletaub directed the first one. This is Ben Wheatley, Ben Wheatley, a field in England. John Turtletaub, uh, those national uh, treasury movies. You know, these are these are high end guys who know what they're doing. And there's a lot of money in this movie from Gravity Pictures, big Chinese company, because these one of the reasons why these movies are constructed the way they're constructed is because it's about that Chinese audience. Oh. Um, but I, there are fans here that like these movies, too. So I, I think we're going to have another big old um, highfalutin shark movie that's going to be very, very successful this weekend. A highfalutin <laughs> shark movie. It is the Meg to the Trench. It is in wide release, and it is rated 
PG-13. Next up, we have Brother in it. Sons of Caribbean immigrants Francis and Michael face questions of masculinity, identity, and family amid the pulsing beat of Toronto's early hip-hop scene. We will start with you, Claudia. What did you think? I love this film. Um, I think director Clement Virgo's style has kind of a Barry Jenkins feel. So if you're a fan of Moonlight, and if you're not, you should be. Uh, this is definitely a movie to check out. Uh, the four actors playing the two brothers are excellent. There's, you know, they play them in different stages, um, young and um, older, particularly the two main brothers. It's this brilliant, beautifully shot ensemble drama. It, it's deeply felt. This portrait of brotherhood. It's about loss. It's about grief um, and systemic oppression and unfulfilled dreams. Uh, so the director is a pretty famous Canadian director who um, has also directed episodes of The Wire and Jeffrey Dahmer mm. story, Empire, Billions. He takes this nonlinear narrative approach that works really well, flashing mm. back and forth in time to tell this complex and moving story. And the actors are so good. The British actor, Aaron Pierre, mm. who is, speaking to Barry Jenkins, was in Underground Railroad. Um, he plays the older brother. He's charismatic and vulnerable. And he's kind of the hero of the younger brother, Michael, really well played by Lamar Johnson and he's sort of struggling to live in the shadow of his brother and the mother is from Jamaica just struggling to make ends meet and put food on the table she's working hard and um, so it's it's about immigrants I love that at the very end they had um, dedicated to our immigrant mothers mm. I just mm. was really moved by that um, there's a lot that happens here it's based on an autobiographical novel uh, by David Shariandi and um it's it's just really great. It's uh it's kind of long, mm. but I I was with it the entire time, and it's it unpacks black grief in a way that I don't think we've seen that much on screen. Mm. Um, wow. So uh, it was emotional, and uh, has, as you mentioned, has a lot to say about masculinity, gang violence, police overreach. I love the way it moves around in time. Uh, we meet these brothers at three very crucial moments in their lives when they're older. Uh, uh, Aaron and Lamar. Lamar was in The Hate You Give, and uh, I think right. The Last of Us he popped up in, too. And then we meet them when they're teenagers. And and, and we meet them when they're very young, uh, 10, 12 years old, something yeah. like that. So different actors playing at these different times. And, and he sort of scrambles the way we meet them. And we have to sort of sort out exactly what has happened when. There are things that we come to know very, very early on in the film. But it takes a while for it all to sort itself out. And he respects our intelligence to sort it out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't explain anything no. to you. He just shows you. There, the, the thing that I love about this film are the empty spaces where no one's talking. Uh, I, I love every time he puts his hand on his little brother's shoulder when his little brother's getting harassed by that guy. Uh, when he's listening to his music, because his bro little brother's listening to some rock music, and he just walks up to that guy. No man, no. And that's the end of that forever. Ooh. So you know, it's just very, very powerful. Very moving. Very movie. powerful. Wow, says so much in just a few words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The film is Brother. It is a drama. You can see it at the Limley Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. It is unrated. Next up, we have Shortcomings. Claudia, what did you think? I like this. It's an engaging and likable romantic comedy that's kind of doesn't follow the formula of romantic comedy, which is a good thing. Um, so it's irreverent. It's um, it's very well acted. It's a directorial debut uh, by Randall Park, who starred in Fresh Off the Boat and Always Be My Maybe. He also co-wrote it. 
It's, um, I guess it's based on a graphic novel by Adrian Tomine. Um, and it's about identity also. It's about um, ambition. It's about romance. It's about Gen X romance. Um, it's anchored by really strong performances, particularly by Justin Min in the main role. He's kind of a Woody Allen-esque, which I guess is probably a bad thing to say these days. He's kind of more in the Judd mm. Apatow sort of man-child kind of uh, role. And... Um, he has uh, this acerbic best friend named, uh, who was played by Sherry Cola, who's really good. And it starts off where, where they're at this premiere for this movie that's supposed to be kind of crazy rich Asians and uh, something along those lines. And it's this very big movie with an all Asian cast. And he has this, he went to film school. He wants to be a filmmaker. And he has this very holier than thou kind of attitude that this is just, you know, craftsman uh, commercialism. And so when he's asked by the filmmaker, like, what did you think? He, he says it was quite the event, which mm. is something we have to remember. <laughs> it's a line I want to <laughs> write down. Um, and his girlfriend finds him pretentious and obnoxious. And so they, they eventually have issues. It turns out he has a thing about blonde girls so what does that say about his issues of identity it's really clever it's not it's you know i wouldn't say it's like a laugh out loud funny but it's wry and it's um acerbic and it's well written and really well acted the film is shortcomings it is in select theaters and it is directed by randall park as we just heard rated r Next up, we have A Compassionate Spy. Tim, what's your take? A Compassionate Spy, very interesting. Um, um, some people, including myself, would probably just call this movie a spy. <laughs> but, but that's okay. Uh, we, can, we can talk about that. Our, our, our sort of present-day spy dramas pale in comparison to some of the things of the past of Rosenbergs, of course, which come up in this film. This film, which is about Ted Hall. Uh, Ted Hall, uh, who was present during that period, was a very, very young student uh, recruited into the Manhattan Project, 19 years old. Brilliant, super genius, and contributed very, very greatly to all that. He was right there with Oppenheimer uh, during all of that this period of time. He and his roommate were both recruited, and because they were young and passionate and, um, oh, I don't know, thoughtful, they, they, they started to consider what they were doing to possibly be problematic. Long story short, Ted Hall passed uh, information along to the Soviets about our atomic program and he was he was a social he had socialist leanings he was a communist um and yeah so it's directed by steve james we should mention um Mm. who did hoop dreams so i had really high hopes for it um and of course you know the time with oppenheimer it seems incredibly timely to release it now it's billed as kind of this gripping real life spy thriller i found it kind of one-sided i i with you, I question the compassionate part. It's hard to know what his motivations really were. And I, I mm. wish that Steve had kind of gone deeper into that and would maybe get, gotten a better sense of his whole life. And, you know, was he doing this because out of idealistic communist solidarity to avoid catastrophic war? Those are perfectly valid reasons. Or was he doing it out of some sort of almost casual capriciousness? I mean, mm. cause the, they interviewed the, the widow and... She like, you know, you gave this to um, Stalin, who was, you know, had committed all kinds of atrocities. And he asks her that question. She kind of like tosses it off Mm. and doesn't really deal with it. I feel like there were I I just wish it had dealt a little bit. Well, look, there's this love story that that was between these two, his wife and him. Almost a triangle with with that third guy, Sassy Sacks. And Steve, who's also a narrative director, Prefontaine and a few other films, um, uh, he he constructs those narrative reenactments. Very, very beautiful because he's very good at it. Mm. And sometimes you're watching this movie and you're watching particularly those sequences, you feel like you're in a movie, a movie, a narrative film. A narrative. But then suddenly you're back in this documentary. I had a problem with that. I have a big problem yeah. with that. And yeah. this footage of um, uh, mostly, I think that's stuff from that archival stuff with Ted, 1988. 
98 or so. Right. Right before. Well, he uh, died in 99. Died in 99. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm like, you know, uh, given what we know now, given that we, that we see a Russia right now with, with, with weapons that they perhaps would not have had as early as they had them. They definitely wouldn't have had them as early as they had them had Ted Hall not done what he you know, uh, it, it's, it's difficult. It's to hard see, not to see it through yeah, that lens. A compassionate spy, really? A spy. And then we'll mm. decide whether or not, uh, you know, there was any compassion. But he's definitely a spy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> compassion or not, it is called a compassionate spy. It is a documentary, though it sounds like sometimes it doesn't always feel like it. It is at the Limley Royal in West L.A., and it is unrated. Next up, we have Lola, Tim. I thought that this was interesting, particularly in, 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 in juxtaposition to the movie we just talked about. So this is a sci-fi film, very clever. It's a buck 95 film. They had really, maybe even not two, a buck 95, buck 50 uh, <laughs> to, to, to make this little black and white movie that is ostensibly about this, these people who create this machine that can get messages from the future in 1940. Uh, after they use it to make a few bucks because, you know, people are people, they, they, they realize what's going to happen with the war and they start using the information that they're getting to warn people uh, in London about places where the blitzkrieg will be worse and save oh. lives. Uh, and the, the government comes after them, tries to figure out where is this coming from, where is it coming from. But, you know, basically what they're doing is passing it now. The consequences of this are very deleterious to the outcome of the war. And I couldn't help but think about what we had just talked about with Compassionate Spy. They were doing this thing that ostensibly seems like a great thing to do. But, you know, there were consequences. That's so interesting to see movies like we will watch all these movies and we'll start to like pair them up a yeah. little and, and they mix and mingle, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's interesting. Right. I mean, the storyline sounds so interesting, but I get a sense what kind of introduced us to this was like Back to the Future, mm. which was yes. like change a little thing, changes everything. Right. Mm -hmm. This is right. what we're kind of seeing play out here is you start to interrupt history so things play out differently. Yeah. Yeah. Based on the decisions um, of individuals, one person, two people deciding I'm going to do this and then the, the, the other six, seven billion of us have to live with the results. The film is Lola. It is unrated, and you can see it at the Limley Monica Film Center again in Santa Monica. I think we have time for one more before the break. The Beasts. Claudia, what do you think? I like this a lot. It's a well-made and eerie thriller. It's Think Deliverance set in rural Spain <laughs> in the hillsides of Galicia, which is very remote. Um, and it's this taut psychological thriller about these outsiders coming into this rural, you know, kind of not backwoods, but a little bit. It's very beautiful. It's idyllic. Um, and this idyllic dream that these sort of more well-traveled uh educated expatriate French couple have to farm and to do it ecologically and um, have an organic farm. Everything kind of goes wrong when the, the, the couple of locals really, you know, take uh, umbrage to what they're trying to do and see them as kind of playing farmers. And, um, and, and some of it has some reason. Uh, there's some, there's reason to it. They, um, the big feud is over uh, some wind, mills wind uh, turbines I guess um, and these you know kind of ecological ecologically driven privileged people think that there should not be those and these other folks are thinking this is going to be money in my pocket and the tensions rise and things go haywire and it's really interesting I, I thought it was very well made the film is The Beasts it is unrated you can see it at the Limley Royal this is Film Week I'm Austin Cross in this week for Larry Mandel talking with Claudia Puig and Tim Cogshell we are back 
in 60 seconds. Stick around. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. We're back with more Film Week here on LAS 89.3. I'm Austin Cross in this week for Larry Mantle, and we are joined this week by Claudia Puig, film critic for LAS. She's also president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. Also in studio, we have Tim Cogshell, LAS film critic, who you can find his work, altfilmguide and synagogues.com. Let's kick off with Kokomo City, Tim. Yeah, yeah, this is a very, very interesting film about a sliver of the transgender community. Very frank, very revealing, often funny documentary of uh, about uh, uh, trans sex workers, mostly black, uh, some Latinx, but mostly black trans sex workers. Uh, and the straight men uh, who they are involved with, um, uh, romantically, sexually, and otherwise. Uh, at least these the, the men refer to themselves as straight men, and, and it's a very interesting conversation that we have. But mostly we have these trans uh, uh, sex workers uh, talking to us from their perspective about what it's like to be them, uh, about how they know they are seen in the world, uh, and, and about what it takes to construct the life as the person that you are. Uh, uh, family, uh, very specifically what goes on within the black community, very specifically what goes on within the black church with respect to, mm. to, to queer folks, generally speaking, but very specifically these, these trans uh, black sex workers. Very, very frank. And when I say very, very frank, I mean very, very frank. Uh, they, they discussing you know what they do and how and when and where. I like that. I like it quite a lot. Uh, I, 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 do, I do believe that they're there's an element of this film where these people are talking at us rather than to us, telling us stuff. Very often, very often, some of them are telling us things about ourselves. Uh, and, and then it feels like they're trying to get inside our heads. You know, uh, oh. so they, they talk about straight women, straight black women and what straight black women think and feel. And I think to myself, well, you know, I don't know that you know what straight black women think and feel. And perhaps there should be some straight black chicken in this movie telling us. Um, uh, so, so that happens here, but it's very, very, very revealing, and I found it very captivating. Very raw. Mm. Sounds very raw. The film is Kokomo City. It is a documentary. You can see it at the Limley Glendale and Alamo Draft House Cinema. That's in downtown L.A. It is rated R. Next up, we have a re-release, Princess Mononoke. Claudia. Yeah, this is a classic for a very good reason. Um, the visuals, of course, are gorgeous. Um, and, you know, the boundless imagination of the animation master, Hayao Miyazaki. Um, it's, it, I had not seen it before, I was ashamed to say. But um, 
I was very glad to have seen it. I do think it really begs to be seen on a big screen. Um, I saw Spirited Away that way, and I was transported, and I feel like uh, this requires that as well. Although, any screen you see it on is still going to be beautiful, but... um, I love the conservationist subplot, the sort of, you know, it's an echo fable. It delves into the disharmony between animals and the forest and humans and how uh, man too often tramples and just on, on and destroys nature for his selfish purposes. So there's the themes of environmental advocacy. You know, this goes, obviously this film was made in uh, 97, but it's even more timely, continues to be just as timely. Um, so those themes ring loud and clear. Highlighting the purity of nature and wildlife, um, and you know, it makes you think about deforestation, industrialization, environmental disasters. Um, but I, I love that, of course, and then the mystical interconnectedness of nature, and then just the beasts and the creatures that he creates. Um, you know, Miyazaki has spoken a lot about man destroying nature out of greed. This version was dubbed um, with English-speaking actors. I'm never as much a fan of that. I'd rather see it in Japanese, right. read the subtitles. Um, but the voices were good. Billy Crudup, Claire Danes, Mindy Driver, Billy Bob Thornton, Gillian Anderson. So good actors. Um, and it was re-adapted for the screen by Neil Gaiman, which is also uh, a really good thing. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't go wrong with Miyazaki. The sweeping landscapes, the massive action scenes, uh, everything about it is so well worth seeing. And Charles will elucidate further later in the show. Yes, we will. (laughs) During our interview portion, we will hear about Studio Ghibli's success over the years. And it really, the Princess Mononoke really helped kick that off, especially on an international stage. It is in select theaters on August 5th through the 9th for Studio Ghibli Fest, which we will talk more about in just a few minutes. It is rated PG-13. Next up, we have Dreamin' Wild Tim. Mm, Yeah, written and directed by Bill Polad. Very interesting, very uh, great producer, Bill. Many, many notable feature films, Bill, but also a good director. Directed Love and Mercy a couple of years ago. Which was great, about uh, about uh, Brian Wilson. With uh, John Cusack and Paul Dano. Both playing Brian Wilson. At different points in their lives. Very, very good film. Uh, This is a a true story that's right in Bill's wheelhouse uh, about uh, this this fella, uh, Donnie Emerson, who, when he was very, very young with his brother, recorded and released... Uh, an album um, um, that didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything. Uh, and then they have their lives for the next 35, 40 years. Very interesting li- lives represented in this film. Uh, Walton Goggins and um, oh, Casey Affleck, Casey Affleck uh, yeah. uh, playing him. And then suddenly, um, um, uh, found on the internet, kind of in that searching for Sugarman kind of way, uh, is that record. And all mm. of these people start talking about this genius, genius record that was made by this, you know, these these young boys back 40 years ago, 35, 40 years ago. And it blows up. And uh, a guy comes to him and says, look, we want to re-release the record. We want to take you guys out on the road. It's a whole thing. They're very, very wary about this. At least Casey Affleck. Casey is more is. than Walton Goggins character. And then, yeah. And then we get the story. In some ways. In some ways, this movie is restrained by the trueness of it, by the fact that it's a true story, because you got all this truthiness stuff that you got to do. Yeah, <laughs> right. uh, and, and if you didn't have that in there, if, if some of that could have been let go, I think a better movie could have been had. But it is good. It is good. And I think it has a lot to do with the performances. Casey Affleck, he, you know, he's he is played by, well, the character is played by Noah Jupe when he's young. And he has this you know sense of sort of unbridled optimism and, and enthusiasm for his work. And, you know, then you see him in the rumpled sort of downbeat form of Casey Affleck many years later where, you know, the dream didn't happen. What I kept thinking of, strangely enough, was 
Billie Eilish and Phineas mm. because the mm. the father, you know how the parents were super supportive of their right, dream. Right, right. And so the father in this case played by Bo Bridges was super supportive of uh, his son's dreams. And so he built this like recording studio and this log cabin in the woods and he put all his money from farming. This is set in Washington state where he does, where they farm and it's kind of rural. Um, and, so years later, Casey Affleck's character feels really guilty that his father spent all this money for a career that went nowhere. And so that it raises all kinds of like familial mm. guilt issues, which is really interesting. Great cast. In addition to, you know, Casey Affleck and Bo Bridges, you have Chris Messina, who plays the guy who comes in with, you know, thinking maybe they can come back and be a hit. And then that song, mm. Baby. It was just this gorgeous, soulful song. Mm. I loved hearing it. Written by that kid when he was, I don't know, what was 17, 17 or something. Yeah, it's like know, a, it sounds like a classic rock hit. He was a bit of a savant piano and played all the all these instruments. All these yeah. and, 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 but, you know, it just didn't happen happen uh, until it did and then you get that story you know when that happens and which is a less interesting movie than the movie that leads up to it to me yeah i thought it, i thought it worked i thought it was just a nice little little indie film um it's not the most dynamic or fascinating story but it's heartfelt and it, it's it sneaks up on you it's kind of quietly moving mm. the film is dreaming wild it is in select theaters and it is rated pg next up is mobland and john travolta's in this one tim what do you think yeah look hey i'm watching this movie mob uh yeah, john travolta Stephen dorf you know these sort of classic character actor guys now right and i'm thinking okay what are we doing here and i'm watching this movie I'm waiting for it to get bad. <laughs> huh. And it never gets bad, this movie. It's mostly set in Mississippi. And it feels like Mississippi. I swear to God, this movie smelt like Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> in, in my living room. Always. <laughs> these, these, these guys, are nothing down there but uh, uh, some drag racing and, and a whole bunch of pill mills. And it's just nothing. Nobody has anything. We, we, we got this one kid. He, he used to be a drag racer, but he has, he's found out he has epilepsy, so he can't do that anymore. And he, he has this goofy brother-in-law played by uh, Matt Dillon's brother, whatever Matt Dillon's brother name is. I can't remember his name. Kevin Dillon. Kevin Dillon. And, and they decide to rob this pill mill, and it goes bad. People get killed. Uh, they dispatch mm -hmm. Stephen Dorff, a hitman, a real hitman, sort of like a No Country for Old Men type hitman. Without the hair. To, to take care of the situation. And we find ourselves in this really brutal, gritty, nasty, nasty movie where people are doing all kinds of horrible things to each other as this guy tries to figure his way out of this thing. With John Travolta as this sheriff, just sort of wandering around, trying to figure it out. Not unlike Tommy Lee Jones in the No Country for Old Men. Wandering around, just playing this guy. And everybody's just killing these parts. And this movie creeps along until it gets to the end. And I promise you, you will not see the end of this movie coming. You will not see the end of this movie coming. Wow, that gets me excited. <laughs> Mobland is the film. It is in select theaters, and it is rated R. Next up, we go to Corner Office, an office satire. Claudia, what do you think? Yeah, you will see the end of this movie coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a, ostensibly a kind of surrealistic mystery satire in the vein of Severance, which is a fantastic TV show, so it's nowhere near as good. But um, having said that, John Hamm does give a really strong, committed performance. And, you know, it's really, it's uh, just worth the price of admission to see this suavely handsome actor just unrecognizably turn into this awkward, nerdy, strange mm. corporate drone with terrible glasses, terrible mustache, terrible choppy haircut. 
and he's terrible at making small talk. He's essentially the polar opposite of Don Draper. Um, and his, you know, John Hamm's comic abilities, I feel, have not been sufficiently mined on screen. He was really great in 30 Rock. Um, and I think he's got a really good way with comedy. I wish he was offered or took more comic roles. This is sort of a weird kind of comic role. It's it's satirical. He works in a drab office and a humdrum job and what happened for a, a mega corporation called The Authority. And then <laughs> he discovers this mysterious, beautifully appointed, gorgeously furnished office that no one else seems to be able to see. So that's that's the premise. And um, we get introduced to each of his coworkers by his voiceover. He hates them all. He doesn't, you know, he, everyone's inferior to him. Um, and the problem is we don't have we, – we see that he's egotistical, he's cold, he's disdainful, but we don't really know why. And his character just feels underwritten and underdeveloped. And the, potent, the, the premise, I feel, is, like, potentially fascinating. Um, it's based on a novel called The Room, um, which is a whole other – bunch of other titles <laughs> <laughs> that's been taken um, by Jonas Carlson. And maybe it worked better on the page. Uh, or maybe a filmmaker like Charlie Kaufman could have mm. done something with this, you know, more creative and adventurous. But what happens here, it's meant to be absurdist and satirical. Um, it just comes off kind of one note and facile. And it, it would have worked maybe as a short, but not mm. as a full-length feature. You know, I have to say, because I've been re-watching Mad Men recently, does John Hamm pull it off as a straight-laced employee? Like, do you actually he does. believe it? You, believe you actually it. do believe it because you really can't recognize that it's John Hamm. I mean, oh. I've never seen John Hamm look bad, but <laughs> here you go. He does. <laughs> <laughs> bad, but it's good. It's called Corner <laughs> Office. It is uh, at the uh, Lumiere Cinema Music Hall in Beverly Hills, also available on digital and on demand, and it is rated PG-13. I think we can get him one more with what comes around. Mm. Tim. Nothing. <laughs> nothing comes around. Nothing come. good. Okay. Yeah, nothing good anyway in this movie. Yeah. A lot of namey people in this movie, but, but just their last names are, are namey Phoenix and, and, and whatnot. Redford. And Redford yeah, and whatnot. Directed. And this movie is about this young girl. Uh, uh, what, 17 is, mm-hmm. she, is, is she supposed Just to be? 17. And she's having a relationship, at first on the phone, with somebody that she does not know is a grown man. I think he's 38 years old, if I'm 30. not mistaken. 30 yeah. years old. Yeah. Uh, something like that. It's a grown man. Uh, and then he, eventually she, she figures out that you know this is a grown man, but she continues to have this sort of dynamic relationship. We come to find out that that man had a previous uh, relationship with her mother, her Ooh, single mother. Spoiler. Uh, is it, well, is that a spoiler? I don't think so. I think that's what the movie is about. Yeah. The question that, that I won't spoil, I'll try not to anyway, is, is what all that is what all that means. And and the, and the reason why I don't think it's a spoiler is because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. Uh, uh, it, 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 uh, it, it's, it's, it's what the film is about, but it doesn't mean anything. It thinks that it is peru- a very complicated, dynamic relationship between these. But it's not. It just kind of peters out. And, 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 and we're meant to believe that this young girl is the brightest person in the film. But she's not the brightest person in the film. You she know writes why? bad poetry. She writes bad poetry, <laughs> and she continues to go out with the grown man. Who tells uh, her that, she's, that she writes poetry like Emily Dickinson. You know, uh, I mean, what girl wouldn't uh, fall for that? You know, <laughs> like, no, no, you can't. You, I, don't, I don't believe you. You mentioned Woody Allen. Yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, 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 Tracy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tracy is the smartest person in Manhattan. Everybody else in Manhattan is an idiot. Muriel Hemingway's character. Uh, Muriel Hemingway's yeah. character. She's 17. Uh, uh, but she's actually the smartest person in the movie. Uh, this 17-year-old isn't. Well, you know, originally this movie was called Roost. Um, it played in, I think, in Toronto, and as in Chickens Coming Home to Roost, mm-hmm. I think, which was kind of more clever because what comes around is that kind of sounds more lighthearted, and it has that vague sort of meaningless title like, something's got to give, or it mm. could happen to you. <laughs> it's like it means nothing, and you'll never remember the name of the title. 
But it just lacks focus, and it feels unconvincing. It feels contrived. Yeah. Yeah. That is what comes around. You can see it at the Lindley NoHo, and it is unrated. This is Film Week. I'm Austin Cross in this week for Larry Mantle. Thanks so much to our critics. When we come back, we are going to look at Studio Ghibli's success over the years. As we are amid the Studio Ghibli Fest, we'll hear from animation expert Charles Solomon. This is Film Week. Stick around. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events. <laughs> 